Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back with you. This week, we have as our guest someone who's been with us uh, a number of times. I don't exactly know him. Tom Jensen's been with us. But Tom is the director of public policy polling, which is one of the nation's uh, top uh, polling outfits and uh, has been in that uh, role now for I don't know how long. How long have you been doing polling, Tom? 14 years. 14 years. So you started when you were 14. <laughs> or thereabout. Not but, too uh, far off. That's right. No, uh, so Tom has been doing this for a long time, and he uh, is kind enough to share with us some of the results of the polling. And uh, one of the things that's always fun about Tom is usually when he has a few leftover questions, he does some sort of uh, fun polling, and we'll talk about that as well. But Tom, I thought we might start off the program today by talking about uh, the results of last year and how effective you think, think your polling was, how effective you think polling generally across the United States was. Uh, did the polls turn out to be about right as far as the election last year? Uh, and what did you learn? What did you learn from last year? Well, the polls turned out to be right in terms of the big picture. Uh, you know, the polls said that Biden would win and pretty much identified for the most part what states he would win. Uh, and the polls identified that Democrats would take control of the Senate, and they did. Uh, but certainly the specifics of the polls in a lot of cases were off. Uh, Biden's victories in key states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania ended up being much closer than they had been expected to be. Uh, Democrats thought they were going to take control of the U.S. Senate on a path through Maine and North Carolina, and instead it ended up being on a path through winning two seats in Georgia in January. Uh, and North Carolina is one of the few states where the winner was actually different than what the polls expected. The polls at the end usually had Joe Biden up by two or three points. He ended up losing the state by a point. Uh, and that's happened uh, in both of Trump's elections where he's been able to outperform the polls. And the key, let, especially let stop, in North Carolina. Let me, you, let me stop you on that one. Why do you think that is? Because that was true in his uh, four years ago as well as this time. Yeah, the, the simple reason is that uh, he brings out a lot of lower propensity voters uh, who just don't answer polls. They might be contacted for polls, but they're not participating in them. And there were a couple specific things last year that contributed to the difficulties. One was that with the pandemic, uh, and Democratic voters taking the pandemic a lot more seriously than Republican voters, Democratic voters were a lot more likely to be at home to take surveys throughout the year, whereas by September, October, a lot of Republicans who were less concerned about the pandemic had gone back to work and were much less likely to be home answering polls and that sort of thing. If you look at our polls from June, July, August and how they matched up to the election, those actually ended up being a lot closer than polls from September and October, I think because over the summer, everybody was at home. Uh, and then by the time you got to the fall, Democrats were a lot more disproportionately likely to be at home. So that's something that's sort of, you know, more specifically a product of the times that we were living in uh, last year than some sort of uh, broader general indictment with the polling industry. But you know, one note on North Carolina in particular that sort of explains why Trump outperformed here, 81% uh, of Republicans turned out to vote, but 
but only 75% of Democrats turned out to vote. So it turned out that Republicans really beat Democrats on turnout. And that was a big piece of what led to the surprising outcome here in North Carolina. Uh, You said 81% Republicans, 75% Democrats. What about the independents in that crowd? Uh, Under 70% of independents voted. It was still really high turnout for independents who always turn out at a lower rate than the major political parties. But of course, they uh, had to vote one way or the other. I mean, you know. Yeah. And based on the results, it's pretty clear that um, independents did end up voting for Trump again, uh, which was something that uh, in the lead up to the election did not seem so clear. I know in talking to my friends who are Republicans and, and active in politics and those who are active as Democrats, I think they still are under uh, underappreciating and under uh, there's a general lack of understanding of that uh, group of people who are registered unaffiliated. I, I don't think they, they have a grasp of it yet. What, what's your feeling about that? Well, it's really a combination of a few different groups of people. Uh, for some people, it's folks who just think that both parties are terrible, so they don't want to be associated with either party because they dislike both of them. Uh, a big trend is that younger voters just don't really have any interest in the political parties at all. Uh, and uh, anybody under the age of 40 who registers to vote is very disproportionately likely to register as unaffiliated rather than to align themselves with either the Democrats or the Republicans. We already a few years ago had unaffiliated surpassed Republicans uh, in the registration numbers for North Carolina. And within the next few years, unaffiliated will surpass Democrats in the registration numbers too. And we'll have more unaffiliated than we do either Democrats or Republicans. Uh, And unaffiliated sort of have an overarching tendency. uh, You know, a lot of individual unaffiliated voters, they're unaffiliated, but they always vote Democratic or they always vote Republican. The ones who go back and forth tend to vote for whoever is out of power. Uh, So I think, for instance, when we head into the 2022 election, that's probably going to be a very good year for Republicans with unaffiliated voters, because just about no matter what's going on, uh, unaffiliated voters tend to be unhappy with who's in charge. Maybe Joe Biden and the Democrats can, you know, be seen as handling the pandemic so well that it changes that normal dynamic. But most likely what's going to be happening with unaffiliated next year is they're going to be uh, you know, strongly going to the Republicans because they want to change from Democrats being in charge of everything. The uh, business of polling itself, is it more difficult now to find a pool that uh, you feel comfortable with or is it about the same? No, it's definitely harder than it's ever been. You know, when I started doing this uh, in 2007, we would talk about, man, polling response rates are so bad. Only 10% of people who we contact for a poll will answer one. Well, now it's down to two or three percent of people who we contact for a poll will answer one. Uh, you know, we would we would love to return to those days of 10 percent response rates that we thought were so bad at the time that we had them. And one thing that has contributed to the polls overestimating Democrats in the last couple of presidential elections is that the people who are willing to answer polls tend to be higher information voters, more well-educated voters, uh, those sorts of groups. And those have started to become strongly aligned with the Democrats in, the, in a way that wasn't really true until Trump came on the scene. 
Uh, it's always been true that more educated, more informed voters are more likely to want to answer a poll and give their opinions. But it's sort of a newer development that more educated, more well-informed voters are also much more likely to be Democrats. There didn't used to be such a uh, education divide between the different parties. Uh, so that's something that's been a complication as well. How do you compensate for that so that you come out with what you think is a true representation? Well, there's sort of a two-pronged answer to that question. Uh, we've had to poll on a variety of elections so far in 2021 across the country, and we haven't changed anything from how we did it last November when our polls really underestimated Republicans. And our polls have been exactly right this year, uh, even without making any changes from what we did in November. And what that tells us, which we kind of already knew, is that polling has a Trump problem. But when Trump is not on the ballot, polling's fine. 2018, when Trump wasn't on the ballot, was one of the most accurate years for polling ever. Uh, and now these elections that have come along since um, November, the Georgia Senate election in January, Wisconsin had a statewide election for state superintendent of public instruction this week. The polling's been fine. But Trump brings out a lot of sort of lower propensity voters, lower uh, interest voters, those sorts of things who are just very difficult to pick up in polls. So if Trump runs again or if somebody in Trump's family runs again, we're definitely going to be weighting our polls to make the samples more conservative than it seems like they should be based on who responded now that we've sort of gotten burned twice with Trump on the ballot of not projecting a conservative enough electorate in his polls, we're just going to have to accept that we're not reaching some of his people and we're going to have to weight our polls so that Republicans are represented at a higher level. But what we're finding when there's not Trump or a Trump-like candidate on the ballot, when we're having just a quote unquote normal election, like the ones that you have in an off year, the polling's turning out fine. So it's sort of a two-pronged answer to what to do about it is that sometimes to overcome the trouble we had last year, you don't have to do anything about it. But we certainly are, I think, going to be much more attuned if Trump comes back in 2024 or if one of his minions is the Republican presidential candidate or something like that. We certainly don't want to have another situation where we overestimate the Democrats. I would rather we make assumptions in our polling that end up uh, – uh, underestimating the Democrats than overestimating the Democrats again. You, you, you certainly don't want to make the same mistake three times. And of course, you throw into that mix the, right, the growing number of uh, unaffiliated, which complicates your picture even more. Uh, definitely. Um, you know, we thought it was a situation this last year because it was what our polling was telling us that people who were sort of unhappy with everybody were going to vote for Biden. Uh, because that was that represented the change. But I think a lot of voters still saw Trump as change, at least in relation to Biden, uh, and thought that he would be able to do more to sort of get things in the direction uh, that they wanted here over the next four years. Well, it certainly, uh, I, I know in the, in the broadcasting and advertising business, uh, polling and, and finding out how people think and what they're expected to do and so forth has become even more difficult and uh and it makes uh, running a business uh as well as the business of politics and government it makes running a business much more difficult because we're not quite sure 
at all times about the data that we're getting and the feedback we're getting. Uh, 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 we, we're going to spend the uh, remainder of the program talking about recent polls that you've done, the results, and how uh, that uh, lines up things for the coming year. Tom Jensen, of course, has uh, always been uh, very uh, kind to share with us the results of his most recent polling, and we're going to do that when we come back. Uh, Tom, uh, any final comments on, on uh, changes to the polling business? We've got about 35 or 40 more seconds in this segment. Yeah, I mean, just one last note on North Carolina that I think is really interesting is the polls had Biden up by two or three, and the people who voted during the early voting period in North Carolina were D plus six on registration, and the state's D plus six on registration. And Biden won those people by about four or five points. But what really threw the polls off in North Carolina is that the people who voted on election day, it was about a million people, voted for Trump almost two to one. And that's really what where the polling era came from, was all these people coming out on election day, two to one, and that entire Republican advantage in terms of who voted came on election day. I guess it's Tom Jensen. As I said in the final three segments of the program today, we're going to talk about some of the polls he's done recently. So you stay tuned for more of Carolina Newsmakers. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has mom my. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the Director of Public Policy Polling, Tom Jensen. And uh, we spent the first segment of the uh, interview with Tom this morning and uh, today uh, because this, by the way, this program is heard at different times in different stations across the state of North Carolina. Sometimes it's in the morning, sometimes it's in the evening. So uh, when I refer to the morning, sometimes I am uh, uh, actually uh, misleading you a bit. Uh, Tom, um, we uh, uh, let, let's turn to, to the national scene right now. Have you done much polling in the month of uh, January and February that uh, would give us an indication of where uh, people's minds are with regards to the change in administration? Yeah, it's really interesting. We've done a lot of polling in different states across the country and a little bit of national polling. And 
basically what we find Joe Biden's approval rating to be in any given place is usually pretty close to what his margin was at the ballot box in November. So really not a lot of people have changed their minds about anything that he's doing one way or the other here over the first now almost three months of his administration. Basically, if you voted for him, you like the job he's doing. If you didn't vote for him, you don't like the job he's doing. We really see that in North Carolina, our most recent poll in the state had Biden at 45% approval, 47% disapproval, a net minus two approval. He lost the state by about one to two points in November. So uh, you really see that opinions have not changed a whole lot about him. And what's really kind of interesting about that is that even though opinions about Biden himself have not changed, a lot of the things he's doing are very popular. Uh, For instance, sort of his signature piece of legislation so far was the American Rescue Plan that, uh, you know, put in various measures to deal with the economy in the wake of COVID and that kind of thing. And that consistently shows up with 70 to 75 percent support in polling with a lot of bipartisan support, a lot of Republicans coming over and saying that they're supporting Biden's relief efforts in relation to the pandemic that's still not changing people's overall feelings about Biden. So that's something that I think is sort of just a departure from history in this country is that historically, if you were pursuing a really popular policy agenda, that would probably make you popular too. But in this world where we're so polarized, uh, you know, Biden can do things that are really popular, but it doesn't necessarily make him more popular. What about, uh, again, I, I keep going back to the independents versus the Democrats and the Republicans, how does that approval rating change with uh, the so-called unaffiliated? They're pretty closely divided on him. Uh, Really no strong lean one way or the other. Oh, a particular, uh, let's talk a little bit about COVID-19. What is the mood of the public on COVID-19 now? Do we feel like uh, the, uh, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is certainly in sight and uh, that we're moving on? Or uh, generally speaking, what do people think uh, about uh, where we stand as far as the uh, uh, pandemic is concerned? I think that people are definitely getting restless. We did a poll, for instance, in Michigan last week where we asked people, do you, this, do you think the state is moving too fast to reopen? Do you think the state isn't moving fast enough to reopen? Or do you think it's about right? And more people said that the state was not moving fast enough than anything else. Uh, And that's sort of a departure from where we would have seen that question a lot of times over the last year. So I think that uh, with the vaccinations, people, you know, aren't necessarily saying we need to go back 100 percent to normal uh, as life would have been 14 months ago, but definitely want to see some uh, progress uh, towards getting back to a state of normalcy. There's definitely very much an increased sense of optimism. People definitely feel like things are on the right track. uh, And I think they're eager to have politicians sort of ease things up. And, you know, one person, and, and, and we may get to this more later, but one poll finding that I thought was really interesting was in February when we did a North Carolina poll, Roy Cooper was at 46 approval, 43 disapproval. When we did one last week, he was up to 52 approval, 40 disapproval. And one thing that changed a lot in the last month was that the governor did ease up a lot of restrictions. He uh, you know, made things easier for bars to be open. He let a lot more people attend 
uh, sporting events. You know, the Hornets and the Hurricanes have really been benefiting from that, as well as uh, college baseball teams that are playing right now. And it was interesting to see that after some of those restrictions eased up, uh, Cooper's approval went up nine points on the on the margin. So uh, I think that uh, people want to to see things get sort of more loose, uh, you know, while still taking it seriously. Uh, and they're rewarding politicians who are willing to move more towards striking that balance. Are you asking any questions about the uh, huge amount of increase in the federal debt? And is this a concern to the average person? Uh, it's it's not something that we ask about a lot, and it's not something that's of concern, much concern to the average person. Anytime that we you know, ask about that on a poll from a list of issues in terms of what people care about. It's never very high on the list. One thing that's sort of interesting with the national debt, though, is I don't think Democrats ever claim to be too, too concerned about the national debt. Uh, and when there's a Republican president, most Republicans don't express too much concern about the national debt. Uh, but then when there's a Democratic president, you will see some more Republicans express concern about the national debt. So I'm sure we'll be hearing about it more over the next few years than we did over the last four years while Trump was president. Uh, but it's definitely never anything that gets too high to the top of the list for voters, for, for better or worse. What is your take on the silence of uh, President uh, Trump as far as his comments? I, of course, obviously, his, uh, his ability to communicate uh, through tweets has been curtailed, but uh, he's been relatively silent uh, as far as uh, expressing opinions on things. Uh, what do you take? How do you take that? Well, what's going to be really interesting to see is how that manifests itself in Republican primaries over the next year. You're right that even though we're not hearing from him on a daily basis, some of the stuff that he has done is like try to take out the Georgia Secretary of State for his failure to overturn the results of the election in the state. Uh, Trump has already uh, gotten involved in recruiting somebody to run against the incumbent Republican Secretary of State and, um, and endorse that person. He's trying to get somebody to take out the incumbent governor of Georgia in the primary uh, next year for the same sin. So it's going to be interesting to see how involved he gets in stuff like that and how effective his endorsements end up being. You know, if he endorses somebody, does that mean that they automatically win given his sway over the Republican Party? Or is his influence not quite as much as it was before, uh, you know, when he has that sort of tinge of having lost an election? And one thing where that's going to be very relevant is here in North Carolina with this open Republican Senate seat. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Republicans who are interested in running at this point, at least two uh, Republican members of Congress are going to be in the field. And there's a lot of other candidates still being talked about as potential ones or not. It's going to be interesting to see if if Trump decides to endorse somebody, does that just kind of end that race for the nomination to replace Richard Burr? Or, you know, is is, is Trump's influence sort of waned a little bit to the point where somebody could fight up, fight back against that. The other person that is uh, it's certainly been silent, and uh, of course he always took a secondary role to begin with, but that's Vice President Pence. Uh, what do you see for his future? Where, where does he stand? And what, what is his future as far as the polling information that you're gathering would indicate? 
Well, he's well liked within the Republican Party. And if uh, and if nobody with Trump as their last name decides to run for president in 2024, Pence, if he runs, is certainly going to start out as the front runner. Uh, but I don't think that he's so strong that he would necessarily be able to clear the field or anything like that. He would start as the front runner, and then it would just be an interesting question to see if he's able to remain as the front runner or not. Uh, so, you know, I think that uh, he's tried very carefully to keep this balance of never appearing disloyal to Trump. Uh, so he's probably not going to do anything to position himself too much uh, until Trump's made a decision about what he wants to do, because he doesn't want to uh, wreck all the goodwill that he has built up with Trump over the years. Uh, but certainly he's going to be in a, a good position for that next election if Trump decides that he would rather influence the process from outside. Talking about the more highly issues that uh, the issues that are completely uh, find, uh, generally speaking, the American public very polarized on, like gun control. Any change on that? Is that sort of the same percentages as it's always been, as far as uh, how people are feeling? Yeah, and you know, for some basic sort of gun control measures like background checks. Uh, that actually is very strong public support. You usually see about 80% of people in a poll say that they want that. Um, but obviously that still hasn't led to any action in uh, Washington yet. Uh, gun issues, I think, are one of the things where there's the biggest divide between where public opinion is and then what actually happens in the halls of Washington and state legislatures. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see um, if that changes any, as the NRA has sort of seen inf its influence go down some. I'll tell you one issue where we do see a, a big change that I think has interesting implications for us here in North Carolina is marijuana legalization is just getting more and more and more popular. Uh, I would estimate, based on what we're seeing in other states, uh, that we're up to about 60% of voters in North Carolina supporting legalizing marijuana, only about 30% of voters opposed to it. Uh, and the numbers probably would have been the opposite of that 10, 15 years ago. It's an issue where we've really seen a significant shift in public opinion in a very short amount of time. And what's really interesting about the marijuana issue is that it's more polarized along generational lines than party lines. It's a very rare issue that doesn't just sort of break down totally by party. Uh, one thing that's really interesting is if you ask older Democrats about legalizing marijuana, they're about evenly divided on it. Then if you ask younger Republicans about legalizing marijuana, they support it by about 20 or 25 points. So there's just this huge generational divide on the issue that's gonna make it more and more popular. And this session in the General Assembly, it seems like for the first time, there's a chance of at least a medical marijuana bill having perhaps a chance to pass. And I think that you're just gonna see the train keep on rolling on full legalization of marijuana, A, because younger generations that are going to be more and more in charge are so supportive of it, but also B, because there's just such a strong economic impact that can be derived from the legalization of marijuana that I think a lot of pro-business people, even if they wouldn't ever touch marijuana themselves, are going to find the opportunity for all that money uh, to be something that's very alluring. Uh, very quickly, uh the prospects for uh, Joe Biden in seeking a second term. 
I think it's way too early to say at this point. Uh, you know, if if there was an election today, it would turn out very similar to the election in November, which obviously was not very competitive in the popular vote, which Biden won by seven million votes, but was very competitive in the electoral college. Even though Biden ended up with over three hundred electoral votes, there were a lot of states that he won by ten thousand votes or fifty thousand votes, pretty small margins, such that it would not take a huge shift. In a lot of places like Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, it wouldn't take a lot to flip those states from the Biden column to the Republican column. So he doesn't have a huge margin of error, uh, but he also has a long time before he has to worry about that. Our guest is Tom Jensen, Director of Public Policy Polling, and we'll be back and we'll focus a little bit more on North Carolina and the uh, midterm election and the, and in particular, the the uh, race to determine the successor to uh, Senator Burr. And we'll do that when we return here on Carolina Newsmakers. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Tom Jensen, who's the Director of Public Policy Polling. Tom has been with us a number of times, and we've been talking about kind of serious matters for most of the program so far. Tom, you always do a little bit of, uh, I guess, human interest polling along with the rest of it. Have you done any of that recently? You know, I must admit, we do a lot less fun stuff than we used to. Uh, because politics has gotten a lot less fun over the last five years, uh, and 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 there just hadn't been anything real funny a lot of the time for us to focus on. So I, I wish I could tell you something good that we had in that realm, but off the top of my head, I, I I can't think of something the way that we used to always have those things. I hope that we uh, return to a time again where Democrats and Republicans can laugh with each other and have a sense of humor and be more lighthearted. But uh, uh, I don't think that we're at that point at this moment in time. Have you done any polling on uh, the future of college athletics and the two big issues that uh, uh, that seem to be occupying the sports news right now, the, uh, the uh, portal for transfers and the uh, image 
possibilities for paying athletes or their ability to earn. Have you done any polling on that? Uh, we have not done it ourselves, but there's definitely sort of a sea change where people are becoming more and more supportive and other polling that we've seen of student athletes being able to profit uh, from the use of their name or image. Uh, there have been a couple polls recently that have found about 60 to 70% support for that idea. Uh, and this really is the kind of thing where when you polled on it a decade ago, you know, people's response would be something along the lines of, well, they're getting a scholarship, they are being compensated. And I think there's increased sort of uh, belief and awareness that college athletes are sacrificing so much and putting so much on the table and so much money is being made off of college athletics that they deserve something a little bit more than just that scholarship in terms of uh, being compensated. So uh, definitely we see the idea of college athletes being able to make some money off of what they're doing uh, to be something that the public is uh, coming up with more and more support for. Uh, we don't have any polling specifically on the sort of transfer portal issue, uh, but just in general, we are seeing that people think student athletes should have more rights. Uh, so the right to transfer and be able to play immediately certainly is something that would fall within that uh, category. And I think it's something where there may be a divide between the hardest core college sports fans and people who sort of follow it more casually. If you're somebody like you or me who just really cares about college sports and is, you know, sort of used to being able to get to know players over three or four years, uh, I think for us, we can really see how this proliferation of transfers is hurting college sports. But if you're somebody who's sort of just looking at it from a broader sort of, you know, should these young kids be able to sort of do whatever they want issue. I think people are more sympathetic to it from that angle. Well, you know, we obviously, as soon as one election is over, we immediately start talking about the next. And uh, so the midterm election is coming up. The, the uh, Democrats have the, the barest of uh, margins in the United States Senate. Is it likely or unlikely that that uh, will continue in the after the midterm elections? What are the prospects for the Republicans as far as re, regaining control of the Senate? So there's sort of an interesting uh, dynamic where two things are sort of cutting against each other uh, when it comes to that issue, which is that the map is better for Democrats than it is for Republicans. There's not a single Democratic senator up for re-election next year uh, in a state that Trump won. And there are several Republican senators up for re-election next year uh, in states that Biden won. There's an open seat in Pennsylvania where the Republican incumbent Pat Toomey has already retired. So there's a chance for Democrats to pick up a seat there in a state that Biden won. And then in Wisconsin, uh, Senator Ron Johnson's up for re-election and has pretty poor approval numbers, approval numbers in the 30s. So that's another place where Democrats are going to have a good opportunity in the state that Biden won. Uh, so in that sense, the map is good for Democrats. There's some seats open in states that they were able to win in last year's election. But the argument for Republicans having an opportunity to take back control is that almost inevitably in a midterm election, people vote against the party that's in the White House. Uh, and Democrats do have a number of seats that they have to defend next year, 
in states that even though Biden won them, he only won them narrowly. So Democrats have to defend a seat in Georgia, which Biden only won by 14,000 votes. Democrats have to defend a seat in Nevada, which Democrats only won by three points. Democrats have to defend a seat in Arizona, uh, which, uh, which Biden won by less than half a point. Uh, so, and then one other seat, just to add to that mix, even though Biden won New Hampshire pretty easily, uh, New Hampshire has a very popular Republican governor, Chris Sununu, uh, and if he decides to run for the Senate, he's going to have a very good chance against the Democratic incumbent there. So even though Democrats arguably have the best opportunities based on the map, Republicans might have the most opportunities when you look at all the different places across the country where they have an opportunity to potentially pick up a seat. And if the political climate's good for Republicans, uh, that's going to be uh, a situation where they have a pretty good chance of taking control. Let's turn to North Carolina and that uh, Senator Bursey, because lots of candidates are surfacing on, on both parties. Uh, how, how's that going to shake out with so many people showing interest? I think that Republicans are going to be sort of uh, modestly favored to win this seat to start out. And what's really interesting about North Carolina, and I think you and I discussed this several times last year, is that North Carolina has consistently, over the last few elections, shown itself to be a 51 to 49 state. In 2014, the Senate race was the premier race in the state. Republicans won 51-49. In 2016, when you look at the judicial races in the state, which are often the best sort of measure of the partisan balance in the state because people don't know anything about the candidates and they're just voting for a party, it was 51-49 for the Republicans. 2018 felt like it was a great big year for Democrats. It was a 51-49 to year for Democrats. And then in 2020, uh, we talk about the polling being a little bit off. We thought it was going to be a 51 to 49 year for Democrats. It ended up being a 51 to 49 year for Republicans. So four elections in a row in this state, one party or the other is one 51 to 49. When you sort of look at everything holistically, it just happens that three out of four times in those elections, it was the Republicans who had the 51 49 advantage. So if you think of North Carolina as sort of starting out at 51 to 49 for the Republicans, and you think about it being a midterm year with a Democratic president where typically there's a backlash against the party of the president in their first midterm as a president, that basically puts you in a situation where you start out at 51-49 for the Republicans, and maybe they add another point because uh, of backlash against the Democratic president in his first midterm. If you ask me to make a prediction in April of 2021, 19 months out from the election, I would predict that the Republican Senate candidate wins 52 to 48. But as you note, there's a lot of people interested in running on the Democratic side. And there's a lot of people interested in running on the Republican side. And where Democrats could maybe upend that generic sort of 52 to 48 advantage you might expect Republicans to have is if Republicans end up with a weak candidate in a crowded field, if Democrats end up with an unusually strong candidate. One thing that the General Assembly has done in recent years uh, is they've reduced the runoff threshold to where you can win the nomination with just 30% of the vote uh, instead of before you had to get 40% of the vote in the primary to win the nomination. 
Well, what's risky about that for Republicans is you could nominate somebody who's really out to lunch with 31% of the vote in the primary, and all of a sudden you have a weak candidate. And that is sort of, I think, what the path to Democrats winning this would be, is if somehow Republicans emerge from a crowded field with a poor candidate. If uh, former President Trump's daughter-in-law elects to run, and she does have some North Carolina heritage and has, of course, obviously been mentioned as a candidate, how does that change the Republican primary? If she decides to run, she's the favorite. Uh, We did a poll a couple months ago that found that she has an 80% favorability rating with Republican voters in North Carolina. And for instance, somebody else who we tested in that poll was former Governor Pat McCrory. He had a 60% favorability rating with Republican voters in North Carolina. So Laura Trump is 20 points better in terms of her image with Republicans in North Carolina than uh, the most recent former Republican governor of the state. Uh, so I, you know, I wouldn't say that if she runs that that clears the field, but if she runs, she's going to start out as the favorite, and it's going to be very challenging for anybody else to to beat her because that Trump name is so strong in Republican politics in the state. So, uh, what do you think the likelihood is that she will run? Uh, I guess I this is more of a public, a private opinion <laughs> than a public opinion poll. I don't think it's very likely that she's actually going to run. She doesn't seem to be making any real moves towards running. Um, she, uh, I think, recently took some sort of Fox News job that she would definitely have to, you know, very quickly give up if she decided to become a candidate for the Senate. And one other thing that's sort of interesting to note is we already knew that former Republican Congressman Mark Walker was going to run. Uh, Carolina Journal is now pretty firmly reporting that current Republican Congressman Ted Budd is also going to run. That means he's given up his House seat to run for the Senate. And I just wonder if he would be given up his House seat uh, if he thought he was going to have to contend with Laura Trump in a primary. Uh, that would be such a challenging thing for anybody to do. Um, my, my sense is that he might have a good idea that she's not running for him to have made that decision to give up his House seat and get into the race. Well, you know, we mentioned all sorts of things about uh, the, the relative silence of President Trump so far. Uh, what do you think the prospects are that uh, he will seek the presidency again? Uh, my guess is that he will not run for president again. Uh, I don't know how much he actually liked being president, um, the work. And I just think as he you know, gets four years older um, and uh, you know, sort of thinks about everything that goes into getting back into that, I wouldn't be surprised if the Trump candidate in the next election is one of his children uh, rather than being Trump himself. But Trump is nothing if not unpredictable. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays itself out. How do you see uh, him reemerging as far as a voice that is more publicly heard uh, in the next uh, year? I think he'll get more visible. Um, you know, there's all sorts of speculation about whether he's going to end up having a TV show or even his own TV network. I mean, if there is one thing we know about Trump's psychology over the years is that he does not enjoy not being the center of attention. Uh, so I'm sure that he'll be looking for more and more ways to insert himself into sort of the middle of the political picture. And one thing we know for sure that he's going to be doing 
is any Republican who crossed him, any House Republican who voted for impeachment, like uh, Liz Cheney in Wyoming, any Republican who didn't do enough to help him uh, sort of navigate the election results and help him stay in office, like the governor of Georgia, he's coming after those people. So he's going to be very active in Republican primaries next year, sort of trying to get allies of himself in there. Uh, And I'm sure we'll see a lot from him in terms of uh, being active on the campaign trail in those sorts of regards. Well, there's an old saying, don't don't get mad, get even. He he seems to want to do both. He he (laughs) seems to want to get mad and get even. I guess it's uh, Tom Jensen, uh, the director of public policy polling. We have one final segment, and in that segment, we're going to turn again to North Carolina and the uh, the uh, changes that may come about because of the fact that uh, the new census may allow us a, an additional congressional seat. We'll talk with uh, Tom about that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting, a teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No. I'm asking it questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Back on Carolina Newsmakers, Tom Jensen is our guest this week. He is, of course, the director of public policy polling, a company that does polling not only in the state of North Carolina, but across the country, and is recognized by many as a very reputable and dependable polling company. Tom has been uh, doing this work now, I think you said for 16 years, is that right? Uh, Yeah, 14. 14, well... 14, 15, 16, you know, it all, <laughs> all begins to run together after a while, Tom. Uh, but uh, Tom has been a frequent guest on our program, and we certainly appreciate him sharing the information that he gathers through these polls that they are constantly doing. Uh, Tom, one of the things we haven't talked about is the change in North Carolina politics that will be brought about by the results of the census when it finally comes out. North Carolina continues to grow, and uh, it's... Uh, uh, course, almost a foregone conclusion that we're going to gain another congressional district, which means, of course, that uh, we will have to look at redistricting again. Um, And uh, that, of course, is uh, uh, in the hands of the General Assembly, uh, but with with a lot of guidelines and a lot of uh, uh, effects from court rulings and so forth. So 
How do you see the 14th district changing politics in North Carolina as far as the congressional delegation? Well, you know, for most of the decade, Republicans were able to draw a map that resulted in, even though the state's pretty close to 50-50, having 10 Republican members of the House and only three Democratic members of the House. So uh, I think what's going to be really interesting to see is how ambitious Republicans try to get with this uh, new set of maps that they draw. Um, the court stepped in and made a new congressional map just for this last election that resulted in an eight to five delegation instead of a 10 to three delegation. But my guess is that Republicans are going to go right back uh, and try to get rid of at least one of the new Democratic districts that got created for the 2020 election. And I think that they'll try to draw a map that's either 11 to three for the Republicans or 10 to four for the Republicans. Uh, I think, uh, you know, what they might do is try to draw a 10 to four map. So what you would do in that uh, instance is try to either get rid of Deborah Ross or Kathy Manning, one of the two new Democratic members of Congress, uh, and then you would draw two new Republican districts, and, and that would sort of be how that goes. Uh, one thing that's going to be very interesting to see with redistricting is whether we end up in a decade of litigation, uh, just like we did um, in this last decade, where we were constantly having to redraw the maps. We had three sets of maps over the course of the last decade, uh, because uh, there just kept being uh, illegalities such that they had to be redrawn. So that's something that'll be very interesting to see is if we have just one set of congressional uh, maps for this decade, or if we end up going through a, a ton of them like we did for the last decade. North Carolina being a purple state becomes very important on the national scene, far more important than it, it ever has been. And with the 5149 situation that you mentioned, uh, President Trump, of course, was a very frequent guest in North Carolina and uh, uh, valued the uh, his uh, position in North Carolina greatly. Do you see uh, President Biden uh, spending more time in North Carolina than he has in the past so far? Uh, I do, especially because North Carolina potentially has the important has the potential to be such an important part of the picture. Uh, for the Senate next year. I think that this is definitely uh, somewhere where Democrats are going to see this as probably their third best opportunity to pick up a seat. So they will want to uh, make sure that they are staying very uh, active here. And, you know, part of the problem, the reason that things were disappointing for Democrats in the state last year was, as we talked about earlier in the show, Republicans turning out at a rate six points higher than Democrats. And I think that Democrats are going to see that, you know, if they could match Republicans on turnout, they would have won the U.S. Senate race last year. Biden would have won the state last year. So I think you'll certainly see Biden doing everything that he can to get the Democratic base engaged uh, to try to, to ensure that Democrats don't keep getting beat on turnout and losing elections 51 to 49 simply because Republicans did a better job of getting to the polls. Who are the emerging candidates, as far as your poll might indicate, for a successor to Roy Cooper? Uh, honestly, haven't really gotten into that in terms of the polling. 
Uh, I think on the Democratic side, Josh Stein is going to be sort of a very clear, overwhelming front runner, our current attorney general, to be the Democratic candidate for governor. Uh, you know, he was just about the only Democrat in the Council of State uh, who's seen as having those kinds of aspirations, who was able to win their election in November, uh, even though I'm sure that uh, Josh would have liked to see Democrats win races for stuff like lieutenant governor and state treasurer and uh, those kinds of offices. The the reality of him winning when nobody else did is that positions him very, very strongly uh, to be the nominee for governor in 2024. And I think he'll be a very strong candidate. Uh, it's less clear on the Republican side. Uh, I still think there's a possibility Pat McCrory might be interested in coming back and running again. You very well could see Dan Forrest running again after he actually ended up coming pretty close to Roy Cooper last fall, given Cooper's level of popularity. Uh, and then I think you also sort of look some to the Republican congressional delegation. There's a lot of House members who, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they really want to be in the House forever. Somebody like uh, David Rouser from the southeastern part of the state in Congress used to be uh, a member of the General Assembly. Greg Murphy, who represents eastern North Carolina, used to be a member of the General Assembly. Um, Richard Hudson used to be uh, Pat McCrory's main political guy from the um, Sand Hills in Congress. So there's a lot of members of Congress who have spent a lot of time in Raleigh and might want to come back as the head guy. North Carolina seemingly has come out of the uh, uh, COVID uh, pandemic uh, with relatively good marks as far as how we've handled it, because we've, on the whole, had uh, better results as far as hospitalizations. We've never really been super challenged there. Uh, we seemingly have beat the odds of, of almost all the states. What polling have you done that would show what interest and what appreciation North Carolinians have for the way that North Carolina has handled COVID-19? Well, we did a poll uh, recently and we asked people, how would you rate Governor Cooper's handling of the COVID crisis? Excellent, good, fair, or poor? And when you combine excellent and good, uh, Cooper gets 54%, which is pretty solid. But what then I thought was really interesting was that when you add in fair, Cooper gets all the way up to 73%. Only 25% of voters in the state say that Cooper has done a poor job handling COVID. Uh, and when we talk about how much Democrats and Republicans hate each other these days, to only have 25% of voters say that they think Cooper's done a poor job handling COVID really is pretty impressive. And that is how he was able to uh, win the state, even as the rest of the Democrats were pretty much losing the state. Uh, and that's why we continue to find him with uh, pretty high approval numbers. Uh, about 54% uh, of voters approve of the job, excuse me, 52% of job voters approve of the job he's doing right now. Only 40% disapprove. What that means is that even people who didn't vote for him like the job he's doing, at least some of them, because he only won the state by five points in uh, November. So definitely, as he's been able to ease some of the restrictions and as more and more people have been getting vaccinated, Cooper's getting pretty good marks on that front. What are the key issues for North Carolina politicians uh, during the next 12 months? What What is the public seemingly more concerned about? Let's take out, uh, remove the COVID 
19 situation, the pandemic, uh, that obviously is one big issue that everyone is still uh, focusing on. But what other issues seemingly will determine the future of North Carolina politics? You know, education is always near, near the top of the list, but I think one thing that's just going to receive more and more dialogue in the coming months is uh, what we do about health care and Medicaid expansion. Uh, there are definitely some Republicans in the General Assembly who want to do Medicaid expansion, in addition to pretty much all of the Democrats wanting to do it, and certainly the governors wanting to do it. And it's something that we see strong public support for about 60% of voters in the state support expanding Medicaid, only about 30% of voters oppose it. Uh, so I think that's an issue that we could hear a lot about. An issue we're going to hear a lot about, we talked earlier about what the ramifications of the new district maps might be, but something that's going to get talked about a lot uh, in addition to the specific maps is the process for redistricting and whether we ought to have a nonpartisan redistricting process in the state uh, that sort of takes the map drawing process out of politicians' hands uh, and makes it so that we're not spending so much time wrapped up in litigation, that we uh, sort of have a clear picture uh, going forward of how this is going to be done so that we don't keep sort of leading the nation uh, in terms of, you know, having this all stuck in the court. So Medicaid expansion, redistricting, education, I think those are all uh, sort of evergreen issues that we're going to hear a lot about. The other thing that's interesting about North Carolina is while last year at this time we all thought we would have a budget crisis, we've actually turned out to have plenty of money, and especially with all the federal aid coming in. Uh, uh, that usually brings out uh, some uh, different opinions on how that extra money will be spent. Uh, what do you think, uh, how will that affect uh, the decisions of the members of the General Assembly? Well, I think that, uh, you know, in an election year, it maybe gives Republicans the opportunity to think about giving teachers a raise and sort of try to neutralize that issue uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, education stuff tends to be stuff that Democrats are more uh, trusted on by voters. But if there is a lot of money, uh, it gives the General Assembly the opportunity to work together with the governor to maybe find some common ground where everybody gets credit. Uh, and certainly in politics, when it's not a zero-sum game, uh, you're a lot more likely to see sides be able to work together to make things happen. you got about 30 seconds. What are your future polls going to uh, focus on? Uh, really, we're sort of just getting our first big look at the landscape for next year. Usually things are very bad for the incumbents party in a midterm election. It's not showing up in our polling yet. Uh, Republicans were already falling apart at this time four years ago. Not happening for Democrats yet. Interesting to see if that happens soon. Tom, thank you so much for sharing your uh, thoughts with us. I've asked you some questions actually that go beyond polling, and I appreciate you sharing your opinions on that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll have another interesting guest next week. Remember, if you'd like to share this program with a friend or hear a repeat of the broadcast, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Uh, so again, until next week, on this same group of stations all across North Carolina, I hope you have a great week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.